Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Wednesday, the 20th of December. We bring you the latest business and finance news in time for the opening of the Asian markets, along with expert analysis from our panel of guests. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's headlines, the Bank of Japan decided on Tuesday to stick with its ultra-loose monetary policy in light of extremely high uncertainties affecting the world's third largest economy. The BOJ voted unanimously to keep interest rates at minus 0.1%, while also sticking to its yield curve control policy that targets a 1% upper bound for 10-year Japanese government bonds as its limit. Speaking at a press conference Tuesday afternoon, BOJ Governor Kazuo Ueda said it's hard to show now with a high degree of certainty how we can exit from ultra-loose policy. More container ship owners have said they are abandoning one of the world's busiest waterways for fear of terrorist attacks. AP Mollenmersk said Tuesday that vessels due to sail through the Red Sea will now be rerouted around Africa via the Cape of Good Hope due to the highly escalated security situation. Shippers have already diverted about 35 billion US dollars in cargo from the Red Sea amid fears of attacks. On Tuesday, the United States announced an expanded maritime task force from more than a half a dozen NATO countries to protect ships passing through the Red Sea. A new capital investment scheme for talent could potentially bring in $120 billion to Hong Kong annually, a senior government official said Tuesday. The SAR government unveiled a scheme to attract foreign investment and talent, requiring applicants to have a minimum net worth of 30 million Hong Kong dollars in the two years before applying. The assets must include at least 27 million Hong Kong dollars in non-residential property and financial assets such as shares and bonds. In addition, applicants for the capital investment entrance scheme must invest at least 3 million Hong Kong dollars to support innovation and technology industries. Investments must remain in the city's financial markets for at least seven years. US housing starts leapt to their highest level since May last month, beating economists' expectations and signalling easing housing market conditions as mortgage rates fell and home builder confidence recovered. Housing starts unexpectedly soared 14.8% month over month, the highest rate in six months. On today's programme, I'm joined by Enzio von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. With a view from Japan is John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'm also on Facebook, Peter Lewis Money Talk is at the page, and on Twitter at MoneyTalkR3. On Wall Street Tuesday, US stocks continued their ascent with the Dow and Nasdaq 100 hitting new all-time highs and the S&P 500 edging closer to a new record close. The S&P 500 closed 0.6% higher at 4,768, leaving it just 0.7% away from its all-time high reached in January 2022. The Dow rose for a ninth consecutive day, extending its gains into record territory. The 30-stock index added 252 points, or 0.7%, to a new all-time high of 37,558. 
The Nasdaq Composite rose 0.7% to 15,003. The Nasdaq 100, which tracks the biggest companies listed on the Nasdaq exchange, closed half a percent higher at a new record and is up almost 54% so far this year. Small cap stocks outperformed Tuesday. The Russell 2000 jumped 1.9% higher and is up almost 12% this month and it's advanced almost 15% this year. US Treasuries tracked JGB's firma after BOJ Governor Ueda gave no indication that January was in play for Japan exiting negative interest rates. The 10-year yield closed one basis point lower at 3.93%. The two-year was off one basis point at 4.44%. The US dollar index was a third of a percent weaker at 102.18 on Tuesday, close to lows not seen since early August, as investors continue to bet the Fed will cut interest rates next year. The yen still remains the G10 laggard, down 0.7% at 143.93 per dollar. Offshore yuan was a third of a percent firmer at 7.12 and a third renminbi to the dollar. Gold recovered Friday's losses. The precious metal climbed 0.7% to 2039 dollars an ounce and above last week's peak. Oil prices climbed as more shipping lines abandoned the busy Red Sea route through the Suez Canal in the face of Yemeni attacks. Brent crude oil rose 1.6% to $79.23 a barrel. Hong Kong stocks extended Monday's 1% decline, closing 124 points lower or 0.8% at 16,505. The city's benchmark index has now wiped out much of Friday's 2.4% rebound. The index was dragged lower Tuesday by the property sector. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index closed 3.3% lower. The tech index fell 0.6%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rebounded in the final hour of trading to close under 0.1% higher at 2,932. This morning looks like we'll see a, a rebound in the Hang Seng. Futures markets pointing to a gain of about 140 points. That's 0.9%. The index projected to open at 16,650. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. As we inch our way towards Christmas, let's welcome our two festive guests this morning, this Wednesday morning. We have with us Enzio von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Morning, Enzio. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Lashar, Asia Chief Economist from BBVA. Morning to you, Shark. Uh, morning, Peter. Now, as you heard there, the Bank of Japan decided on Tuesday to stick with its ultra-loose monetary policy in what it described as, in light of extremely high uncertainties affecting the world's third largest economy, the BOJ voted unanimously to keep interest rates at minus 0.1%, while also sticking to its yield curve control policy that targets a 1% upper bound for the 10-year JGB as its limit. The BOJ said with extremely high uncertainties surrounding economies and financial markets at home and abroad, the bank will patiently continue with monetary easing while nimbly responding to developments in economic activity and prices as well as financial conditions. And BOJ Governor Kazuo Ueda said it's hard to show with a high degree of uns- high degree of certainty how we can exit from ultra-loose policy. Well, Enzio, if Governor Ueda doesn't know, how on earth are we supposed to know? Well, that's a very good question, Peter. Um, I think that there, there are a number of reasons why the, the Japanese are 
not keen to raise rates because we're not dealing with a normal cycle in Japan. You know that, and I know that because we've both been covering Japan since about 86. And the reason is, has everything to do with wages growth in Japan. If the Japanese decide to raise rates, the interest rates, then the exchange rate will also rise in Japan relative to the falling rate of the dollar and the euro. Rising rates in Japan then imply less imported inflation, and that then means that the there's a lid put on wage hikes in Japan, and that's exactly what the government doesn't want because next year the House of, of Representatives gets selected, and 2025 the the whole national government gets re-elected. So that's it's it's a political dilemma that they're now. So there's, there's a pol political structural dilemma that is that goes way beyond just the cyclical dilemma of the West. It wouldn't it be the case that if imported inflation falls, even if you know wages don't rise, nominal wages will have risen. Um, so in in a sense, you know, Japanese consumers are better off, aren't they? If if imported inflation comes down, even if wages don't go up. Yeah, but the nominal doesn't doesn't cut it because if, if they if then Mr. Watanabe in the in the local vegetable market raises his prices or cuts his prices by the by the commensurate nominal amount, you're still left with one carrot. <laughs> I see it. Yep. Um, Shark, we've got the easy, or the Bank of Japan's got the easiest monetary policy in the world. Do, do you see any sign of it ending soon? Uh, I'm afraid not because uh, I first I fully agree with Anzio. He's a comment on the uh, current situation in Japan. And in fact, uh, three weeks ago, I visited Japan. I had the chance to talk to some policymakers. I have the feeling that uh, uh, they have a great concern of the current situation because mm. they are not sure why there are, uh, this kind of uh, inflation and even the wage growth is a system sustainable or not because remember this uh, uh yen they they depreciate quite a lot more than 10 percent almost 15 uh, percent sometimes mm. early this year so that creates some kind of uh, inflation pressure for them uh at the same time uh, they have a great concern for the financial health of their uh, household balance sheet because uh, they told me that uh, the mortgage rate of uh, Japanese household mm. they were borrowed, uh, they were borrowed uh, as the float interest rate. So that means okay. if they are going to raise the interest rate, that would add a great pressure to the household uh, financial uh, balance sheet. So that's why they they concern if. Uh, they move too fast. If they move too soon, uh, that could have uh, some burden on the household. Now they they have been waiting for so long to see this uh, consumers in Japan. They start to activate, okay, and they they start to consume, and they can expect a better uh, income because uh, they are going to have a higher uh, higher weight, higher rate of the wage growth. But now if they move too fast, too earlier. They could maybe they could uh, stifle the the uh, the enthusiasm of the consumer. They're very cautious on this part. I mean, on that basis, the Bank of Japan is never going to raise interest rates because whenever they do, whenever any central bank raises interest rates, it inf impacts homeowners and, and their mortgages. So there's there's no way around it. But it's it's sort of bizarre, isn't it, that they're worried about moving too fast when the Bank of Japan has had negative interest rates for 10 years now. It's the most glacial um, central bank in the world. And they're, and they're worried about they might move too swiftly. 
Yeah, but that's why I think that, again, one can't, and, and we're not doing that, one can't just see Japan in the normal Western cycle because it's the reason that it's been on its back is very much because of this antiquated mindset in Japan. There's not that much competition going on, frankly. It's not really a vibrant economy. It may be high quality, but it's not vibrant mm. in the sense of people competing against each other for the business. And so the, the whole deal is a pretty cushy number where the old establishment doesn't really want things to change. So I think you're absolutely right, Peter, again, from a different angle, that there's no, they have, have little interest actually in changing the, the whole house. And that's where... Over time, Japan will come of its own because the younger people take over, but not for now. So what are the conditions that need to be in place for the Bank of Japan to raise rates? What's got to happen uh, to prompt them to go and do this? Well, so I guess because I'm, I'm the last one of Von Hayek's last students, I would always say it has to be more competition because if you have competition, then that will drive prices down and that will keep, infl- keep a lid on inflation naturally as opposed to state-led inflation. J- Japan is basically a socialist economy. And so they, and also if they, if they were to re- reduce some of their welfare spending again, I think that that would help just in- increase the competition in Greece increase people's hungriness just to get jobs and do the work. Mm. So, so Shark, what do you think? What, what, what are the conditions you think we need to see when we can start to say, okay, the Bank of Japan is now ready to pull the trigger and raise rates? Yes, I think the, the first, uh, they need to inject this kind of the inflation to people's mind. So people have this mind that, okay, we are living in a time different from previous uh, maybe three decades okay in the past we have zero inflation or even negative inflation but now people they believe that inflation will be with them for a longer time i think uh, uh, we have seen this inflation only one year or a little bit longer than one year i, th- I don't think it's uh, enough maybe if people they start to get used to this inflation period and then uh, mm. it's time for uh, japan's uh, uh, policy makers to decide make the move. Of course, we need other conditions. For example, you need to see the signs of the overheating of the economy. For next year, most of people, they still believe Japan can manage growth by 1.5%. That's uh, Bloomberg consensus. So now, if we think Japan, they have a potential GDP level at 1% growth, this 1.5% growth uh, I don't think it's overheating, right? Because mm. the, the figure is too low, 1%, 1.5%. So I don't think uh, uh, at this time it's, it's for these uh, uh, policymakers to make a very big change of their monetary policy. The, the thing is, Enzio, when you look at inflation, um, CPI is 3.3% um, now. So it's been up um, above the Bank of Japan's target for over a year. Um, core core CPI, which excludes volatile food and energy, it's, it's 4% um, now. So how long have we got to see inflation well above the Bank of Japan's target before it becomes long enough? By the time it gets re-elected in October of 2025, I think it's I think it's a very long play. I wanted to add to what Shark was just saying by saying also, of course, Japan is not a reserve currency, and that's why the reserve that's why the yen actually had been strengthening since kickoff. It used to be four hundred yen to the dollar. Now it's about one hundred and forty-one or one hundred forty-three yen to the dollar. So there's been a massive strengthening of the yen. That in turn has helped keep in, import inflation low, and that in turn has kept the wages growth low. 
So this is all going to be down to wage growth, really, isn't it, then, by the sounds of it, from what you're saying, which I is going so. to be ne- next spring is going to be the key. So next presumably spring, so, yeah. we're not going to see any move from the Bank of Japan before the spring and before those uh, Shunto wage negotiations in March. Yeah, I think so, yeah. The, the Japanese have a uh, – when I was doing Japan, it was always it takes time, Enzio-san. Well, everything up there takes time. Um, and um, – that's just how that's 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 how the culture is wired. It's, it's not the doesn't have the quickness of the Chinese culture. I'm wondering though, Shark has has the Bank of Japan missed the boat? It, it did have a chance mm-hmm. earlier this year when it could have raised um, rates and, and sort of you know taken uh, taken us at least to zero instead of leaving us in negative territory. But now the economy is contracting um, at quite a fast rate. It's almost the worst possible time now for it to be forced to be thinking about raising interest rates. Yeah, yes, that's exactly what I say, because uh, they're not sure why there's this uh, kind of uh, inflation or this uh, GDP growth. Uh, they are sustainable or not. So mm. they must uh, know this one. They must sh- uh, be sure of this one. They are sustainable. Then we can make the big important change. Mm. And by the way, if you look at uh, the, the public debt in Japan, there's uh, more than 260% of their GDP. So even small move of this uh, long-term interest rate that could add a lot of uh, fiscal burden to the Japan government. So Japan, they have been lived in uh, this uh, low inflation environment for too long. So that's why it's yeah. very difficult for them to change. Yes, hopefully they are going to have the enough condition to change this one, to normalize their monetary policy. But even uh, under that condition, they will do that uh, very carefully. They will keep talking things. They will keep delivering this uh, kind of yeah. uh, uncertainty, uh, that try to inject more confidence to the people, but they move uh, just a little, little by little. And mm. I, I think that's a better or safer way for them to achieve this uh, monetary normalization. From, from what you're both saying, it seems to me the Bank of Japan is really in a hole here, isn't it? That, uh, of its own making, really. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you've got the, 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 the stronger yen by virtue of the fact that the dollar is a reserve currency. Reserve currencies always go down. The turning did two. Secondly, you've also got the, the the whole demographic aspect of Japan. That the population is just simply aging. So they, they there is less... Um, so there's less growth impetus from aging people. They consume less than youngsters. So I don't think it's just the Bank of Japan, myself. I think also what Chark was saying, very importantly, the fiscal policy, again, is also a little bit, they want to loosen fiscally, so maybe that's going to be their trick in the mundell Fleming model to um, reduce inflation, to spur growth fiscally, but, but throttle it monetarily. How that's supposed to work at the end, I don't know, but that's maybe what they're thinking. How much is politics in play here? I mean, we know Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is embroiled in this um, funding scandal, the worst political scandal in yes. funding scandal in decades, and he may not survive um, next year um, long enough to see this through. Does that change anything in terms of the Bank of Japan's thinking about when or how it can get out of this um, unorthodox monetary policy? I don't know what the interaction is between the the central bank governor and the head of Japan, and the Japanese prime minister. I, I don't know. I mean, in the U.S., it's it's quite separate, as we all know. U.S. president versus versus president of the Fed, but chairman of the Fed. But I do think that the um the the general there's always this consensus talk in Japan. I think the consensus is that we don't want things to go fast. 
We would prefer to stay in our old systems. The the establishment certainly doesn't want higher rates. I can tell you that mm. because that, that makes it tougher for them with no competition. Of course, they're flabby. Okay. Um, do you think Shark, I mean, a, a sort of a, a halfway house maybe, you know, leave interest rates negative, but maybe abandon yield curve control or tweak that a bit more? Is that an option? Yes, I think that's, um, it is possible. I mean, that happened the next year. They can uh, tinkling with, uh, tinker with uh, this kind of the yield, uh, yield curve control. Uh, it is possible. Uh, but they are are cautious if they want to change this uh, negative interest rate because that's quite different. One, the YCC is more like uh, the interaction between the policymakers and the uh, and the capital market, right? Mm. So even you can liberalize the range of this YCC, maybe the market don't buy it. <laughs> so, but for the negative interest rate, so if you uh, raise this negative interest rate, then you will change the interest rate. So I, I think there's a chance that they could do further uh, adjustment to this YCC. They already did that one uh, early this year, right? Uh, but the problem is, uh, uh, I, I think uh, uh, they must wait. They, they must be very patient to, to make the decision to do this one. Mm. And they, they must make sure this kind of uh, uh, inflation things, this kind of uh, wage growth is uh, sustainable uh, in, in Japan. Yeah. What does this all mean for the equity markets? So we, we know how um, inversely correlated um, the yen and the, yeah. uh, the Nikkei 225 is. The more the Japanese yen slides, the more equity investors seem to like it, um, and that, yes. which is one of the reasons why we've seen a big boost in the, the Nikkei 225. Yeah. I presume where we're at is quite good news for, uh, for stocks. I think so. I, I think as, from a broad macro perspective, I fully agree with you, Peter, that it is this. It is this desire to keep the yen not from rising too much, um, because against the backdrop of the other other falling G7 currencies, especially the G3s, um, I think that that's that's going to be a major consideration. Is is the exchange rate then also the exchange rate not only in terms of helping exports a little bit, but also of course is making it just cheaper to buy Japan on low valuations. So low exchange rate valuation, no no equity valuation equals good deal. Mm. Shark, is this good news? Yeah, I agree with uh, Ansel. I think it's uh, good news for uh, for the equity market if they make this uh, uh, kind of move uh, cautiously and slowly. Uh, at the same time, I like to say that uh, uh, Japan uh, is one of the country benefiting from this uh, uh, China, U.S. Uh, geopolitics risks. Ah, okay, we, yeah, we 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 talk about this. Uh, Nearshoring, but in fact, uh, I noticed that there's some kind of the reshoring. So before people they produce things in uh, China, but now they move this kind of the production back to Japan. Mm. Uh, I think that also boost uh, is uh, equity market. This story won't change. So mm. in the next yeah. few years, Good point. So I think that will benefit the equity market of Japan. And where does the Fed fit into all of this? We've got the dot plots now from the last meeting projecting three oh. interest rate cuts uh, next year. Well, let me ask you, first of all, do you believe there will be three interest rate cuts from the Fed next year? Absolutely not. I think that the 
Um, because again, America, so much of America's inflation is structural. We just heard it on the news this morning that you were reporting on it yourself, Peter, about these Houthi rebels. This, they're really shaking up the world globalization. Mm. And by by attacking, there about, I think there are forty one attacks going on at present somehow globally, not just not just the ones in the Red Sea. So I, I may be wrong on that, but it doesn't matter. The 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 point though is that America still has a lot of structural supply side inflation, lazy people not wanting to work, uh, so that you have tight labor markets, but for all the wrong reasons. You have um, the um, just the, the 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 change in global economic needs, like rising rising metals prices. Some of them because of a change to e vehicles. You have poor education, meaning that the productivity in America is very low. So all of these things are are contributing to a very str- very high structural inflation, and that isn't going to go away. And the, the Fed again is trying to fiddle with knitting needles to repair its its inflation engine, um, instead of tackling it by also increasing some of the supply. These um, attacks in the Red Sea are a problem, aren't they? they? They could be quite inflationary because they're forcing ships to now divert around the Cape of Good Hope, Huge. around the whole of Africa, which can drive up oil prices. It's already driving up uh, shipping container prices. Potentially here, uh, this is an inflation driver, isn't it? I think so. Shark, what do you think? Uh our house view is that they are going to lower interest by three times. So, okay. Uh, ah, that, that's good. before this uh, Red Sea attack. So we made this uh, forecast before the Red Sea attack. I think uh, it depends uh, whether this uh, uh, Middle East situation, they will become this uh, global shock or they just remain as a regional shock. If uh, now the things, uh, it seems that they cannot <laughs> solve that one quickly, we will see the global supply uh, system supply chain will be affected. Just uh, what happened uh, two years ago, right? At the beginning of this, uh, uh, at the beginning of this uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. At that time, I remember there's something happened to this uh, supply system to the global uh, supply chain. So if that materialized, I think that could become a global shocks, the supply shocks. To global economy and there is a chance maybe us they are going to face a higher inflation uh inflation pressure they could delay their uh interest rate cut uh, but for for the time being we still uh stick to our three uh, three times uh, interest rate cut scenario and, and why would the fed cut three times is that because inflation hits their two percent target um or is it because the economy slows um or maybe both what what is it that's gonna cause the fed to do that because the fed since the uh, the meeting has been rolling out a lot of officials now basically trying to walk back uh this expectation of um of three rate cuts with with you know the the chicago fed president the new york fed president all saying no it's way too early to be thinking about rate cuts uh, we don't believe they can easily to meet their target of the 2% next year. So that means uh, if Fed they are going to cut their interest rate, means that they, already, they will see some signals that uh, the economy could uh, slow down faster than, uh, than they anticipated. So that means that maybe the economic growth side will uh, prompt them to, uh, to make this uh, interest cut decision. No, at the moment, again, the, in an election year. Sorry, Andrew. Again, in an election cycle year. Let's not forget that they've got those elections running next year. But again, I still, I, I'll stick with my story that they don't, that they can't afford to cut because of these structural forces that are pushing them 
to to not cut. And I think that that's they, they also want some some of their credibility back. They've they've kind of botched it for too many decades now. Mm. And and the economic data shark, it's um, it's actually getting better, isn't it, in the US? I mean, we had the housing starts data overnight. The Atlanta Fed GDP has been uh, revised upwards. Um, actually, the, if anything, the, the economy seems to be strengthening, according to the recent data. That's true. I believe look, look at the economic data, the US, uh, they are improving, <laughs> not yes. deteriorating. So that's why we focused uh, even they are going to cut the interest rate. That should be start from the middle of the next year. So mm. then if uh, they carry over this uh, strong momentum to the first uh, quarter of the next year, so I don't th- believe many people expect uh, the, the Fed that are going to cut the interest rate in, in March. I think it's too early. So our uh, first uh, cut forecast will happen uh, next uh, June. Yeah. Okay. Before if, we... if, if, if... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you carry on, Enzio. Sorry. Okay, sorry. sorry. I just wanted to say that this is this very strong market consensus about three rate cuts next year. That's precisely the danger of the U.S. market because if the Fed doesn't do what the market wants, and it may also throw a tantrum, it's done these things before with the algo trading, these algo lizards running around doing <laughs> what they want with no, and under no, no human control. Mm. Meanwhile, us carbon-based units who are trying to do something in the yes, markets. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at actually, there could be a very big tantrum because if you look at the Fed fund futures markets now, it's now predicting six rate cuts in um, 2024. I mean, it just yeah, um, right. defies belief. I, I can't imagine yeah. what would cause the Fed to cut rates six times other than something very bad happening in the global economy or in the financial system. You, you know, or somebody what having a huge them- position here. Sorry, Anzio, please. No, 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 I, I finished. Yeah, go ahead, Chark. Yeah, yeah, you know what could cause uh, the Fed to cut the interest rate uh, uh, six times? Another round of financial crisis. Yeah, which okay. is not you good. You never know because uh, uh, early this year, when mm. we had this uh, regional banking problem in the United States, no one was aware of that ahead mm. of that one. Okay. Yeah. And then the, the just a uh, pump up. So yeah. if next year, because we have keep this high interest rate for longer enough, right? If you mm. keep this interest rate at a high level for too long, you will see this uh, some kind of a bubble bursting scenario, mm. some kind of a financial crisis problem will appear. So, well, I, I don't rule out the possibility that maybe sometime next year we, we will see another round of the financial crisis. Of mm. course, that should be mini-sized, mini-sized uh, financial crisis. In that time, maybe... That they are going to cut the interest rate. But that's why I say uh, the, that- the only thing that could cause a six uh, rate hike cuts next year is something bad, not something good. Like the market being wrong, what I was just suggesting, that might be one cause that the mm. that all of a sudden the traders take fright. They're 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 so sick of their over 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 leveraged long positions in the market that they um that they have to get out, and then that then you have the third effect. Okay. Before we go, let me just quickly ask you about Hong Kong. First of all, we had some unemployment data. The uh, Hong Kong jobless rate unchanged, 2.9%. Underemployment rate unchanged at 1%. I mean, Enzia, can we read much into this? Because it's it's a phone survey, isn't it? We don't have any unemployment benefit scheme here. So the only way is to phone people up and ask them if they've got a job or not. Any, anything that we can glean from this? No, I don't think so. Because it's, it's, as you say, it's it's too too thin the, the 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 research is not is not sort of thorough enough to, to really come up with a conclusion shark any anything you take from this 
uh, I don't argue the uh, whether the, this figure is uh, true or not. But even with this uh, low uh, unemployment rate, but I still have the feeling that the economy in Hong Kong is not that good because uh, many people complain they cannot make enough money. They cannot make uh, money like before the uh, pre-COVID period. Yeah. And the, yeah, so the, the local economy is not that good. What do, you make, what do you make of this new capital investment scheme that the government announced yesterday to, uh, for people who can um, have a net minimum net worth of 30 million Hong Kong dollars? You've got to invest 27 million in non-residential property. It's got to be in shares and bonds and the like. And also you've got to put $3 million to support innovation and technology industries in the city. But if you do that, uh, then, you can, uh, then you can come to Hong Kong, um, but you've got to keep your money here for seven years. Do you think this is going to attract uh, talents to Hong Kong? Only if they have a huge tax protection angle on it. In other words, that you're protected from taxes in Switzerland and Germany and the US. Only that way can this work. Why why put your money into into a into an economy where which is structurally having some problems because of the leadership and then um seeing it go to waste other than if you can save on taxes. So you think it's maybe politically too risky to to bring in thirty million Hong Kong dollars? Well, I, I just think that the, um, the 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 big gain has to be to save these huge tax rates on these huge tax rates in the West. If they can't do that, then there's hardly little gain to come into Hong Kong, which already is kind of going a little bit wobbly anyway in its, in its growth projections. I mean, I presume there's always a risk uh, based on what Financial Secretary Paul Chan is saying. Um, you know, there's going to have to be some fiscal tightening because we're overspending. The budget deficit is more than twice what he predicted at the beginning of the year. He's talking about cuts. Maybe tax rates might have to go up in Hong Kong. I've been saying that for some time. I, I, I don't see how we're going to get around that because of all this profligate spending um, this little study and that study and that consultant and that project and I I just don't think that I sort of wonder whether who's whether these people live in the, in their own little cocoon. It's what I call oil and water. The oil is the government and the water is the people. There's very little interface between the two. The only one who I see running around a bit is Regina Ip, but the rest I don't see running around shaking hands with people, getting the getting a feel for what's going on. Shark, what do you think of this scheme? Uh, I don't know because uh, they can bring some rich people to Hong Kong, but if you talk about this uh, Thailand so with this uh, uh, this advanced uh, tax, I think they have other program to to come to Hong Kong. Uh, and also, uh, I I'm not sure whether this Hong Kong is uh, as attractive as before to these uh, rich people. I, I'm afraid that That's many fine. rich people will original from China. Yeah. Mm. Well, Christopher Hoy, the financial services secretary, is saying 4,000 people could come, he estimates, and bring in 120 billion Hong Kong dollars to the, to the city. Yeah, uh, well, how do I, they make I think up the his numbers? estimation is too optimistic. <laughs> For 4,000, okay. Yep. okay. See, it, it, Peter, it comes back to this, that, that maybe a lot of these people who do these surveys and come up with these numbers haven't actually gone and, 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 and smelt the roses. They haven't gone out into the, into the streets and really talked with individuals so they come up with these sort of ivory tower numbers that some academic has told them and the academic of course the consultant will agree with them because he wants his salary or she wants her salary 
Yeah, good points. Okay, well, thank you both very much for a lovely discussion this morning. Have a great Christmas as well. Look forward to talking with you thank both. You happy Christmas in the new year. Don't freeze too much. Don't work too hard. <laughs> too. Bye. Thank you. That was Enzio von Fall, Capital Bye. Preservation Bye. Specialist at Financial Shield, and Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. I'm joined now by John Byrne, who is Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute in Tokyo. Morning, John. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm interested to get your thoughts on what the Bank of Japan did yesterday, or in fact didn't do, because uh, they left interest rates at minus 0.1%. They didn't change their yield control uh, policy either. Um, And Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Ueda said it's hard to show now with a high degree of certainty how we can exit from ultra-loose policy. Um, So how on earth do they exit from this policy? Yes, I think the decision yesterday or the lack of the any movement in monetary policy was largely expected. Um, as you know, inflation has been above target in Japan for quite some time now. But the nature of this inflation is more cost push uh, than demand pull. So it means that it makes any um, monetary policy reaction quite difficult, as the belief is that these cost pressures was, would naturally dissipate over some time. Um, And as well as that, at at the moment, we have seen some weak data coming out of Japan in terms of GDP, um, in terms of the labor market as well. So the conditions at the moment also do not warrant uh, any uh, hike in rates in Japan. It would be a horrible time, wouldn't it, for the Bank of Japan to have to raise interest rates right now, given what we've just seen in the the economy with that GDP data uh, recently? Yeah, exactly. You know, if we look at the the mandate of the Bank of Japan, it's to achieve a sustainable rate of of two percent uh, over the medium term. Um, as I said, inflation is of course above uh, this level of two percent, going back uh, quite some time. But it's it's difficult to uh, adjust uh, interest rates as a result of that because you know. There is a feeling that this inflation rate that, that that's prevalent in Japan is not sustainable because mm. of its uh, in nature in, in terms of being driven by external cost push pressures. Yeah. So in other words, it's imported inflation, um, which is not going to help wages. That's right. Yeah. So I think all eyes will be really on what happens in April with the wage negotiations. Real wages continue to be a problem in Japan with um, nominal wage growth undercutting the, the, the rate of inflation. Um, and even though we saw some, uh, you know, high uh, wage negotiated uh, levels uh, last time, around 3.6%, this, of course, was just the large firms. Um, to, if, we, if we include the, the small firms in, in that, the, the actual uh, nominal wage growth was much less, just over 1%. Um, so without... Um, closing this real wage gap and and achieving positive real wages, then we're not going to really um, see some justification for for a tightening in policy. And that's why um, all eyes will be on April to see if there's any indication of uh, some pickup in wages. But again, it's still going to be very difficult because anything we see in April will be only coming from the perspective of large firms, which is only a a rather smaller proportion of, of the overall uh, labor force, of course. So does this mean then that the Bank of Japan is not going to move before April? It's going to be have to wait to see what happens in those Shunto wage negotiations? 
Well, this would appear to be the consensus view. I mean, it will not necessarily wait until then, but it will wait to see some signs of whether um, expectations of uh, wage movements are, are going to materialize. Um, but at the moment, you know, it's it's very difficult to, to justify a tightening in policy given the macroeconomic conditions. And um, what we're seeing at the moment is what has been happening actually for quite some time um, is that, you know, the yield spread between the US and Japan is continuing continuing to be driven by external uh, developments. So we, we know that uh, the Fed has signaled that it will be possibly, you know, reducing rates during 2024. And already we're seeing a, a narrowing in the yield spread between the US and Japan. And this is having some impact on the yen, of course. But all of these factors are external factors. And um, within Japan itself, um, there's no movement in the interest rate. Inflation is continuing by cost pressures. We don't see movement in, in wages at the moment. Um, and the macroeconomic conditions are somewhat uh, weak, certainly if we look at the more recent data. So um, all of the, the um, in terms of this yield spread has been driven by external factors. So this means really these market expectations that we've seen recently and, and seem to crop up periodically of, um, of, of an early normalisation, that's all in jeopardy. That's going to get unwound. Well, you know, it's, Obviously, it's very difficult to predict what will happen, but I think a lot will depend on what happens and what we see coming out of the uh, the next round of wage negotiations. And as I said, that's even not, um, you know, 100% going to guarantee the case for, for monetary policy tightening, but um, it will provide some indication if it can, um, you know, trigger some expectations that the, the wage uh, rises that will be agreed will also be uh, taken on board by SMEs. But again, this, this would imply that um, there would be a sufficient, um, you know, up, pick up in, in the economy for, so that, so that uh, small firms could actually afford to offer wage increases, which is not the case at the moment. Mm. I mean, one of the things I suppose was a bit disappointing yesterday was that the Bank of Japan didn't really lay down any signposts as as to what it wanted to see in, in order to go and exit this zero interest rate policy. So investors have been left a little bit in the dark, haven't they here? Well, I, th I think, you know, the, the Bank of Japan has been quite clear in its assessment of the nature of inflation and the fact that it wishes to see a sustainable uh, rate of inflation over the medium term. And and th this is not what we see at the moment because, you know, the all, not all, but the, the large bulk of the inflation is, is comprised of, you know, food, uh, yeah, other, other cost push type pressures. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is not sustainable, of course, because we want to see, or the Bank of Japan wants to see demand pull inflation. It wants to see uh, any pickup in sentiment translating into domestic uh, consumption, investment. And um, this can be achieved through, uh, you know, a pickup in wages and, and to de generate domestic demand-driven inflation in this way. So I think this is what the Bank of Japan wants. But it, of course, it's very difficult to achieve. And th that's why there's been no change in monetary policy for, for quite some time now.
So in the meantime, the the yen is starting to weaken um, again, I presume, until March or April when we do have more clarity on the wage negotiations. This is actually quite good for Japanese equities, isn't it? Because they've been inversely correlated um, to the yen uh, most of this year. Um, so there's sort of almost the green lights for, uh, for stocks to continue with their rally. Yeah, well, I think on the yen, um, okay, so it's it, it weakened a little bit uh, after, after yesterday, but that's probably just something short term. I think, you know, over the longer, well, over certainly over the, the next few months, we should see some strengthening in the yen because, as I said, this uh, yield spread between the US and Japan will, will narrow coming from the US side. Mm. Um, so this will support the yen. I think that uh, the, the stock market will continue to perform strongly because, you know, corporate reforms have taken place in 2023. This will continue during 2024. And this, you know, even in spite of some yen appreciation, I, I still think that um, the, the stock market will continue to, to perform well during 2024. And I suppose a lot depends then also on whether you believe uh, the Fed dot plots and that we are actually going to get uh, three interest rate cuts in 2024, which have sort of come out of the blue, haven't they? Because at the November meeting, there was no talk whatsoever of interest rate cuts. Now, suddenly, we, we've got three on the table. And if you look at the Fed funds futures markets, they're talking about six interest rate cuts um, next year. So I, I presume that uh, this is important, not just for the US, but also for Japan in terms of what does the Fed actually go and do next year yes I, I think it will require um you know continuous monitoring i think um there was some uncertainty as regards um the, the nature of you know uh how the fed re would uh, respond during uh 2024 in terms of, of monetary policy but i think that it's it's now more or less um the consensus view that we will see some cuts into the second half of 2024, whether it's three or, or six or whatever the number is, is is something that needs to be monitored. But the point is, I think that um, inflation is OK. We're going to have higher for longer rates in the US, but I think that inflation will eventually converge towards its uh, two percent level. And monetary policy will have a role to play, of course, because unlike the case of Japan, uh, the U.S. is seeing some, you know, demand-driven type uh, inflationary effects. So monetary policy will will have a role to play. And, getting, and, uh, and markets are sort of running away from the Fed because, um, you know, the Fed uh, was saying no interest rate cuts a month or so ago. And the markets were saying, we don't believe you, three or four. The Fed is now saying three interest rate cuts next year. Now the markets are saying six. There's There's this constant disconnect, isn't there, between the markets and the Fed at the moment? Yes, th there is some disconnect. That's true, um, but I think it's clear that um, there will be some, you know, uh, accommodation coming from the U.S. side during 2024, and um, whether it's three or six cuts is something that will will need to be monitored, of course. But I think um, this will all be um, helping to to narrow this uh, spread between the U.S. and Japan, and that's why we should see some appreciation in the end. Uh, during 2024, regardless of what happens with monetary policy in Japan.
Mm. I mean, I've, I've said it several times this week on the program. I, I can't imagine what could cause the Fed to cut interest rates six times next year, other yeah. than if it happens, it's only going to be because of something bad, not something good, whether it be a financial crisis or an economic slump. But there could be nothing good that would prompt the Fed to cut rates um, six times. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Do you, do you think we're, um, that that's even conceivable? I think, you know, six rate cuts is seems excessive. Um, I think, um, you know, monetary policy, of course, has impact with a lag. So it's always targeting something much further ahead. So I think it's it's um, it's difficult to, to really, you know, predict how many cuts there would be. And also the, the, the magnitude of those cuts will also be an important factor. But I think it signals that, um, you know, the U.S. is predicting that uh, inflation will naturally become under control. And, and what would be important in, in, the, in the latter half of 2024 would be to, to support uh, economic growth and then, um, you know, to, to achieve its um, inflation target over the horizon in, in that respect. Okay, John. Well, look, thank you very much for your thoughts today and also for all your contributions to Money Talk over the, the past year. It's been much uh, appreciated. Have a very happy Christmas and look forward to talking with you again in 2024. Thank you, Peter. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening this morning. Just a reminder once again to take a look at my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, where you'll find my daily newsletter with a lot more business and finance news to go with this show. I'll be back tomorrow when my guest will be Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Alicia Garcia Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific and Atixis. With a view from Singapore is Jeff Howey, Market Strategist at the Singapore Exchange. Please catch me tomorrow. Money Talk 